Next Chapter Podcasts. Hi, this is Sally Kate Holmes, Managing Director of Next Chapter Podcasts, here to tell you about a pretty cool new offering from our friends at Apollo Podcasts. You can now find the play on podcasts on Apollo Plus, a creator-owned platform where every subscriber helps audio fiction creators such as us. You can listen ad-free, early access to exclusives, behind-the-scenes, supercuts, and more on Apollo Plus. On top of all that, 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes directly to creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or by going to apollopods.com. Hi, my name is Michael Goodfriend, and I'm the executive producer of the Play On Podcasts. J.O. Sanders is an actor noted for TV roles like Bill Weller on Blindspot, Jack Bryant on Manhunt, Chief Tom Liddell on The Sinner, Detective John Maynard on Widows, lots and lots of roles on lots and lots of shows like Law & Order, Criminal Intent, and Crime Story. He's appeared in lots of films, including Glory, Mr. Destiny, JFK, Angels in the Outfield, The Big Green, Daylight, The Matchmaker, For Richer or Poorer, Tumbleweeds, Music of the Heart, Cadillac Records, and Revolutionary Road. And this is my favorite. He is the voice of D.S. McKenna in the Red Dead Redemption video game series, which is my son's all-time favorite game. And I just started playing it. He just started teaching it to me yesterday. So this is like a fan moment for me. J.O. Sanders is also Prospero in the Play On podcast series, The Tempest. Jay, welcome to the Play On podcast bonus content series for The Tempest. Thank you, Michael. Good to be here. All right. Is it J or J-O? It's either one you want. Um, J is J is generally what I answered to. My mother would never call me J-O. <laughs> okay. So, J, what does the O stand for? Uh, Olcott, O-L-C-U-T-T. It's a family name. My father used it as his first name, James Olcott Sanders. Uh, it was also my grandfather's name, and he named me J uh Alcott Sanders so I wouldn't be James Alcott Sanders the third which I appreciated <laughs> so uh and I chose to use I chose to use the O because it was uh more first off there was someone else named Jay Sanders in the union uh, but also I had always been such a great admirer of James Earl Jones George C Scott and various it just had more weight to it and the the name Jay is not a particularly weighty name. Uh, and I love, I also, in in love of Shakespeare, I love having that O in the middle. It seems like a, a world of possibilities, if it were, but not to sound too pretentious. The O, right? The O, o for a muse of fire. Muse of fire. Yeah. Oh, that this too, too sullied flesh all, oh, yes. J-O, how did you become an actor? Uh, first off, I must say, uh, thank you for the introduction. I, I hear all of those names and I go, oh, that was that other stuff. The film <laughs> and television stuff, though, I've done a lot of it, uh, which is part of making a living and, and some uh, pieces that I love very much. But I really started in the theater and have continued my whole life in the theater. And I really think of myself as someone who's been working in theater for 50 years. 
which I have. I started in 10th grade. Uh, my father became, took over from the founding uh, directors of a place called Karamu House in Cleveland, Ohio, which uh, was the first uh, black theater and integrated theater, but primarily black theater in, in the black section of Cleveland. Uh, and this was in the mid sixties, early mid sixties. Um, so my first acting teachers and first examples of actor professionalism and of a life in the theater were all black actors from Cleveland, a number of whom I've stayed in touch with, uh, over the years. And, uh, I've, I've seen, uh, everybody's moved on to other places, but people, people like Stephen McKinley Henderson, uh, Charles Brown, uh, Ossie Davis and Ruby D came through there many, many people. And it was a, an unusual side to come from, especially being, uh, being white, but, uh, we were all very involved in the civil rights movement at the time. And it was a very exciting and healthy place to be at the time. Uh, the theater of life, uh, mixed with the theater on stage and provided me with some insights and I think a perspective that I otherwise would not carry. Um, but I've been, I've continued to act from the time I was 10. I acted through school and then went on to drama school at SUNY at Purchase. I was the first actor to ever audition or be accepted at the SUNY Purchase Drama Program, which is now a highly revered uh, program. And for the past 25 plus years, I've been going back and doing master classes with the students, with the seniors and the freshmen um, every year, uh, keeping up a connection and, and helping to guide and to learn from them because the business continues to change every year so that I can tell them what I can see, but of course, what they're seeing much like our interaction with all this technology is a very different uh, thing. So that's, but in a nutshell, I continued to work through regional theater. Um, I worked in the great region, the arena stage in Washington, DC, right out of school, the uh, Shakespeare in the park in New York, um, in, in outside Chicago and Lake Forest. I worked at ACT and their company in San Francisco, all in pursuit of being what I dreamed of as in the English style classical actor form, which doesn't really exist in this country unless you make it exist, as you know, with, uh, with your work in Shakespeare companies, Michael, you, you kind of have to craft your own ladder up if that's what your aspiration is. So bring it all the way back to uh, play on Shakespeare. This is what I have been building to all my career, which is a connection with the great classics, uh, especially Shakespeare, and a growth, a natural growth as an actor and as a person through as many great roles as possible, as many challenging roles as possible um, that exist in the classical canon and going back and forth between those and creating new plays where I sought to find the classical qualities in new plays and then come back to the classics and find modern and new qualities in the classics. So I would say more than anything else, that is a summation of my uh, 
my career and my aspirations and my love. And you're working on a new play now on Broadway that just opened, correct? Just yeah, just off Broadway actually. It's called off Broadway because it's under 500 theaters, but it uh, 500 seats, but it is uh, at the roundabout in the um, uh, um, um, Laura Pell's theater, which used to be the American Place. It's called Primary Trust, and it's a big hit right now. But more importantly, it's a beautiful play, and uh, I'm very proud to be on stage with the other three actors and a musician, and we're having a, a great run of it. I'm really intrigued by this beginning that you mentioned, the Karamu House in Cleveland. How, you're, you said your father was became the artistic director? He became the, it's the executive director, uh, because it's really a community center. Mm -hmm. um, I started ceramics there, which became very serious for me. I thought maybe I was going to be a ceramicist. Boy, if you could find something that would pay you even less than being an actor. <laughs> um, but I did music. We had a chorus there. I had acting classes. There was photography going on there. It was some of everything. But as importantly as that, Michael, it, uh, it was a political center because of the civil rights movement. It was art was completely enmeshed in social change and um, and progressive movement um, so that social activism was a given as part of theater, even though I wasn't doing political theater, so to speak, although many of the shows that I saw there were all black versions of, say, Guys and Dolls and The Fantastics, uh, A Christmas Carol, which I was in all all black versions uh, all the way home uh, was one that I was in early on. Um, and years later, I came to New York and there was advertised a first first ever an all black version of guys and dolls. And I went, isn't that how you're supposed to do it? <laughs> um, but it, uh, it just it gave me a wild perspective. And I it's where I was when JFK was shot hmm. and Martin Luther King and uh, all these people I had encountered through the social activism movement and through attending the Washington marches, the great civil rights march down there from the buses left from Karamu. So for me, social activism, which has also been part, a great part of our family's uh, mission, um, was always completely interwoven with a love of theater. I've always been interested in artists and actors who call themselves activists. It's its always been a bit of a conundrum, I know, for actors who worry that being an activist is going to somehow impinge on their marketability, that they're going to uh, right. type, you know, become a big... Well, it's also a bit, although for an actor, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a cliche because so many actors are, so many actors are uh, left-wing thinking, um, and an activist in one thing or another. I'm I'm not uh, I'm I'm not gluing myself to things in public and screaming out for stuff. But you know I've demonstrated against things and um, over the years. But I'm I don't think that leads the way. It's simply a, an important part of who I am. I've also worked with uh, Brian Dorries in his Theater of War which takes Greek drama, pieces of Greek drama to the uh, military community uh, all across the country. 
and uh, seeks to open up the ideas of dealing with of accepting and dealing with PTSD to people who are directly in the midst of it. I, I performed Ajax um, in to a group of men uh, who were just two weeks back from Afghanistan. Um, and we had a very emotional coming together and there was no, it was no political, what do you think about this? It was just, who are we as human beings? And that's what I think is the center of, of all of this. I like to think that whatever it is and wherever you stand politically, it's ultimately about humanism and about finding our commonality as, as people, which is where the great roles of Shakespeare are um, preeminent. Is Prospero a role that you've been seeking? Circling, yes. Seeking, circling. Uh, I was thrilled when when you asked me to do this. I had played, when I was still in college, I had played Caliban at the Williamstown Second Company, which interestingly enough, I, I learned only recently that Ken Cavender was one of the founders of the Second Company. Kenneth Cavender, who did the translation of our production of The Tempest. Exactly. And and then back in 1980, that was 1975, summer of 75. And I met Tina Packer that summer, who had just arrived in, in the States and went on directly from there to create Shakespeare and Company uh, up in the Berkshires. Um, and I went on in 1982 not so long out of college to do Ken Cavender's The Greeks up at Hartford stage, which was a huge commitment because it was a number of months because it was a series. It was a 10 plays so we did nine of the 10 plays um, grouping three and three and three for three different evenings um, of the, the major Greek stories followed through putting plays together. The, the murders of the house of, uh, Atreus, the uh, the Trojan War, and the intervention of the gods, I believe the three sections were. But I was enamored of all of that and played Menelaus at the time. And again, I'm still close friends with a number of people who were in that production back in 1982. Um, so theater is a place that families are made and come together and stay together too. And that sense of uh, humanity and, and purpose are also a major reason I'm in the theater and a major gift of being in the theater. But in doing, in doing um, Caliban, which I loved, um, I watched the role of Prospero and was fascinated by it and was troubled by it because I thought it, I've always thought it's a trouble, um, a very problematic role because very much like, uh, like, Petruchio, who I later went on to play as well. Um, Petruchio, The Taming of the Shrew. Taming of the Shrew. And I played Petruchio years later at Shakespeare in the Park opposite um, Alice and Janney. We had a great, great time of it. Um, but they're trouble roles, problem roles, because they walk onto the stage and announce what they're going to do, and then they just do it. <clears throat> and it looks like well, there's did it. What was the effort involved? Why does this matter? If they're just going to tell me and they have all this ability or magic or whatever they have, <clears throat> what is the what's the drama engaged and why am I engaged with their journey? So 
a big part of my looking at this role and what we did in this uh, production, I believe, with Andy and Ken was finding where the drama was in it. And what I had discovered in Petruchio was that the way that it worked for me was that although he Petruchio comes forward and says what he's going to do, it is bluster that he does. He has no idea what he's going to do. He's simply putting, he's laying down the law in a bold way because he thinks that's how it's going to, to work. Uh, but inside he's terrified that if it doesn't work, he's completely lost. Uh, and with Prospero, it's all of a moment. He's just discovered, he's been here for 12 years and he has this moment of the, the boat coming nearby within the reach of his powers. He has this ability, but he's never done it before. He's stuck here with his daughter and he realizes that if he doesn't achieve this in this moment, as he imagines it, he's going to be lost here for however long, maybe the rest of his life. So the stakes are huge. And although he says, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is what we're, where we're going. This is what he's imagining it. He's imaging it and talking to Ariel and talking to Miranda and he's, he's putting it out there, but he's never done it before. And the stakes are, if he blows it, if his powers, if, if uh, Ariel can't do exactly what he asks, if they can't manage, if his powers aren't exactly what he thought they were, because he's never used them this way, if people don't react to what he, he brings them to, he's stuck, he's lost. And that makes for a fascinating piece. In other words, he arrives for all his stillness, he is standing on the beach terrified. Hmm. Um, that maybe he won't be able to work and maybe he's going to be stuck here the rest of his life. That makes for a really interesting uh, play. I remember in, in production, in, in rehearsal and in, in the recording, it was a kind of a constant thing with you and Andy to really get that sense of drive, that sense of intensity, no. that sense of, time is of the essence what yeah, what time is it now how, how long do we have what do we do how long did that just take wait a minute how, how long do we have before they are they're on the beach yet or that yeah everything is like blah, 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 blah. and in between the scenes <clears throat> we we found we, you get involved in a scene and then something oh wait 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 no no i have to okay i'm losing track no 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 they're they're almost here this is almost you know and that makes for a wonderful story i mean i i loved being a part of that because I got involved, of course, I got involved in the scenes uh, and engaged, but it was all the more reason that I had to yank myself out of it and everyone else in order to drive forward because the fear of being stuck and my daughter being stuck for the rest of her life on this island, it was, it's, it's huge. And it's, it takes it out of the hands of, of omnipotence of, oh, I'll just do this and that will be, yeah, I'll just I'll wave my, you know, um that works with Caliban it, it works with Ariel but that's local right it's like saying you're you're king of your you're king of your home but who are you in the outside world do you think it's Prospero's first time concocting a weather event no he says he's he talks about uh, later on he talks about having done that mm -hmm. he's tried it all 
you know i think he's experimented with with his powers here um he and ariel have been doing things it's like he's been off on the shooting range or something saying we can do this we can do that wait okay let's try that let's i've done it all i've dimmed the, the dimmed the sun at noon, noon time or something uh things like that I've, I've made the dead rise from their graves you know it go it gets really extreme but he's never applied it to the outside world and that became once i realized that i thought oh my god someone who feels that kind of power but goes yeah but who am i to there right i feel it from here but who else i'm not affecting anybody so he's felt all that power he's seen nature interact with him but he's never applied it to the outside world what do you think is the single greatest challenge that he has to contend with in this finite period of time? Forgiveness. Because he is full of rancor. He's full of darkness. He is full of fury. Not just at what was done to him, but what was done to his daughter. Um, rage rage how could they do this to us in effect they were sending us out to die and we survived but not only have we survived we're to this point and my daughter's ready to move on into the world to be a a, a woman to be a, a full adult and experience the world and here's the chance and they tried to take all of that from us um and i I also played that, and I talked with Andy. My wife and I had seen a production not uh, a few years ago that was not very successful, actually. But we had a long conversation about the fact that um, Prospero's real Prospero has a whole other level of magic and power, and that is that he's a parent. With Miranda, he is God as children imbue you with that you know i don't know what 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 is this why is that why does the world turn like this why don't people do this why you're expected to have all the answers and of course you have so few but you want to give them um an example you want to share with them so that in another way which is the metaphorical way um but very, very moving is the fact that in as he he's arrived to a moment where he has been everything and all powerful in his daughter's mind. She has made him a wizard. She has made him a superhero, as all children do to their parents, which the, the universality of it is beautiful. And that in giving her up, which is a big part of the play, right up there with forgiveness, in allowing her to move forward um, and letting go, he is letting go of his magic. That the metaphor of drowning the book and, and breaking the staff is saying, all right, I guess I'm just another guy now. You know, I'm just your dad, you're on, you, you know, that's, 
that's done. I'm no longer the the superhero in your heart and in your mind. Um, and in that way, finding having that very specific, very human connection to the metaphors of the magic in this in this play makes it very, very touching to me um, and very relatable, I think, to an audience who goes, well, you know what? I never had magic books and I never was on an island and I never, but they go, but I did let go of my daughter. Or I did let go of my son. Or I did, and I had to learn to, you know, and I know that as a parent, um, it's a it's a big step. And you hope that you've done all of the things right to lead to that and to allow them to step forward confidently and for yourself to step back gracefully. Working on roles like this, do you feel as an actor that they actually help you become a better human? Yes. Yes, because they because they cause you um I don't say they insist because it's about how well you ask the questions of yourself that you face, but what what are available in these roles? And the reason that coming back to them, uh, to all of them uh, throughout the entire Shakespearean canon, as well as many other great plays, but Shakespeare obviously has an entire life's worth of uh, challenges there. Uh, you know, you, from Hamlet and Coriolanus and, and uh, Timon of Athens, you know, the, the most unsuspecting uh, places in, in all of the plays that you look at. Um, I played Bottom in Midsummer, which I just adored. But the the all of the questions are life's big questions, and they are available to be asked with a group of people in front of a group of people. Um, and if you really ask them of yourself, they're very cathartic. It doesn't mean you're you're weeping through a role, but it, but you're opening yourself to the possibilities of what it means to be human and reflecting on that with an audience in a way that allows the audience to reflect on it, um, for them to see it through you. So yeah, I think there's there's nothing grander and that we are gifted with uh, with Shakespeare's body of work to reflect on ourselves with. Um, it's a very, very profound opportunity and ride. I'd like to ask you to weigh in on something that is a, a debate among scholars, among actors, theater practitioners, you name it. And it, it's something that comes up in our interviews for bonus content quite frequently. Do you think it's just one person who wrote these plays? Yes. And what makes I mean, you... I think there are some of the plays that were co-written, but undoubtedly. Otherwise, you would see plays like this littered everywhere, mm -hmm. and you don't. I just believe it came through one, it filtered primarily through one mind. I don't have, I haven't ranged out to prove it for anything. I don't know that I could or would, would want to. I, I don't really care. Mm -hmm. uh, what is Shakespeare? Whatever Shakespeare is, is one mind. And um, he is the most egalitarian. You know, there's a lot of talk with, with uh, 
Shylock and Othello and various about what is where is uh, racism or or anti-Semitism or anything like that. I think he reflected things from his time. Uh, I don't I don't know where he stood ultimately, but it's interesting that we don't know what he thought because he put him he entered those characters. He entered his perception of those characters. He made himself those people, and we, I believe he speaks through them. Uh, if you say, well, such and such a play doesn't work for me, but that's okay, that's fine. You're looking at how many plays, and he gave so much through so many characters, and you find issues with, with one or two. And my feeling would be the very fact that you find issue with it means he brings us to those issues. How we choose to deal with them, how we portray them is up to us. How we how we use our perspective to show them. Um, I, he I, he's he's brilliant that way. He really talks through the character, and he has the he has your inner life coming out through the most beautiful language ever written. I mean, it's I I just get lost in how ecstatic he makes me. He is he is the ultimate. How has that? influenced you in choosing i assume at, at this point in your your life your career you really you you kind of choose your projects yeah the what you're going to do now i mean you're not so in need of a job that you're going to take whatever is offered to you right, right. So, i you know it's it's that's an interesting question because it comes up a lot uh i i don't choose out of a bunch of things i tend to be brought uh, I'm, I'm brought a lot of things to read, um, but a lot of the roles I've done have just come to me. Uh, in terms of the classics, they come to, but I also work on things. Now more and more, I say there are things I definitely want to do as I get older. I have I've memorized the entirety of King Lear and been working on it for ultimately for three years, but really uh, nonstop since last october just on um, your own yeah just been I, i'm running it. i'm running lear constantly in my head i, I carry a copy with me I, I i had done this with titus andronicus over a couple of years and uh when i was asked what i wanted to do at the public uh it was the first time that had come up and i chose that and they said why i said well because it scares the living hell out of me i mean it was just um there's so much to be done. If I know I can have a shot at doing that, I kind of owe it to myself to dive in. So I did and uh, had one of the great rides of my career. Um, and I decided with Lear, I'd been offered the opportunity to play it a couple of times and talked to by a couple of directors about, oh, we should do that. But I haven't done it yet. I played Kent to John Lithgow's Lear in Shakespeare in the Park. Uh, some eight or nine years ago. Um, and Kent is also a great, great role, which I always wanted to do and has become one of my favorites that I've ever done. But it's interesting because he is the character who travels just off Lear's shoulder mm -hmm. through the entire ride. Um, it's and it's the perfect angel. place to watch that role from. Um, and I, it's interesting to see how many great Lears, uh, if you look at the cast list, you look at who's playing Kent 
and within those next five years or so, they will have people will be writing about their Lear because you're bringing so much to it. And you're so you're so aware of the play and so prepared by it. So I I know the play from doing that and having taken that ride. And now I want to I've been looking at it from his point of view. But I just decided I wanted to have that in me. Another one is Falstaff, which is one of the great, great roles. Um, and one I'm I'm well suited for being a big guy and um, and and I got a chance to do that at Theater for a New Audience this year with my son playing uh, various roles with me too, which was a thrill. Um, What's your son's name? Jamie Jamie Sanders, wonderful actor, wonderful guy, and um, uh, highly trained. But I I can't say enough. Um, wonderful about him and i'm very proud of him um and we're talking about doing that at theater for new audience we did it as a book in hand staged reading performance uh for two weeks after only two weeks of doing we did henry four parts one and two and richard the second mm. in two weeks and then put it in front of an audience which is sort of insane but it was amazing how on the run and given a passion for it, um, how far we got. And I felt, I feel completely, I could step into doing Falstaff tomorrow. I mean, I'd have to learn it fully, but I, but um, I, I, and those three roles, Lear, Prospero, which I was, got the chance to do with you back in uh, January and beginning of February, um, and the Falstaff, which I had just come from doing right before that, and the Lear, which has been in my head all throughout the same time, um, I'm in heaven. I'm just, you know, my head is swimming in these big challenges, these big thoughts, these three very different characters. Um, and and uh, just a, a wealth of, of artistic possibility and to me obligation because i feel after having done 50 years of walking to this i can do what no one else can do as other people can do what no one else can do i can bring my whole self to these including my love of language my understanding of language and my uh my passion for the engagement with Shakespeare, but uh, you build that in a way from having been in all these other productions and played these other roles. Um, and and Prosper was sort of a perfect thing to uh, to approach this way and and quickly as we did. But mm -hmm. I dove into the language um, with a, a more of an obsessive um, mentality which i and i was matched by by andy and ken who had already been there and were obsessive partners with me and you uh with the how we brought it together and all um but i i felt i solved those issues in prospero that i wanted to find and wanted to solve and we you know we've done it on audio but now i really want to go and do the original shakespeare on stage with everything taking everything that this has taught me uh, to bring it into it. 
join Play On Premium to get merch like t-shirts, hoodies, and coffee mugs, ad-free episodes, and bonus content video featuring interviews with the actors, producers, playwrights, and directors who brought it all to life. Go to ncpodcasts.com and subscribe to Play On Premium to support the art and the artists. Going to what frightens you, right? You mentioned that you wanted to go into Titus Andronicus because it scared you. Right. Right. Yeah. Is that a thing that you, that, that sets actors apart, I guess, from normal people, right? Ha, that frightens me. I want to find out more about that. Let me, I think people, I think other people do it in their fields. You know, I was doing, I want to go to a new startup. I've done this thing. People do it in business. I've, I've created this thing. It's very successful. Uh, I want to find something else that's unsure and figure it out. I think there's there's the desire to figure things out. Um, I will say I had a, a revelation for myself in the working on this role um, because I I've often felt that Prospero disappears too much. You, I want to make him more present, not doing something or saying something necessarily, but more present in the overseeing of all of this because everything is at stake for him. And if he's away and you're not aware of that, you're watching the whole story, but you're not going through his, it's clearly his journey beginning to end and you don't want to lose track of him and what it's meaning to him and the fear for him and the the victories for him and all. But finding his way to forgiveness which is that big big inner turn and with without needing to receive um uh, apologies or verification from the people he's forgiving which is grander it's really about that it's not about i win because i got i apologize but i got you to apologize too it's not about that. It's about I win with myself because I found what I believe. I found what what means most to me, and I will live and die from my heart, from what I believe and what I know. Um, and he, but his finding his way to that in the midst of all this anger and the whirlwind of how do I get forward to have enough time to find something that would allow him to turn, allow me to turn and see that for all that I'm doing, that's the issue. Mm. That's the question. And it's not them. It's me. Mm. I have to let go of this. If I'm going to embrace the world and if I'm going to show my child what it means to embrace the world, because she's the one going to go on and live longer, much longer than I am as an example how do I find that? And where do I see that, uh, the need for that? Uh, and I discovered, which had never occurred to me before, but it was as we were working along in the, in the script, I said to Andy, I said, I think I see it. It's, I'm, I'm desperately trying to keep everything in its place. And suddenly the, the issue with Caliban and his darkness and what I perceive as darkness and and uh, wrongful thinking and, and guilt about what I've done to him and, and anger at what he's done or attempted with my daughter. And I've, I've gone back and forth and reading it, wondering, 
is Caliban really just him in mm. the darkness? There are those productions, right, where they've conceptualized it or, or or there are interpretations of the Tempest where Prospero's got all that all of these characters are a part of him or in his yeah. mind. I have not I haven't seen one. I've I, I've spoken with people and I've I've read uh, theories on, on that and all, but I, I mean there's a very dark version in that I can imagine where he is Caliban. Mm-hmm. He is Caliban. Um and Ariel, right? And that Ariel, yes. Yes. The and, that the he's, and how I don't know how that is I don't know how one would portray that, but there are certainly sides of himself and when if you imagine again metaphorically you're on an island with your daughter you're raising from a child you've saved her life because she clearly couldn't save her life in a shipwreck you've saved her life um and now you are you are creating a world on an island Mm -hmm. and part of you i mean part of you as a father lusts after your own daughter and you want to kill yourself mm-hmm. as you go what is my why would my body react to she, this is my daughter this is insane this but it's a very dark not even dark it's it's a natural truth that is something that people have to contend with and one of the reasons that you have such terrible stories of of fathers abusing their daughters mm-hmm. um happens far more than we talk about, I think. Um, Not to dwell on it, but to include it. To acknowledge that that's there. Yes, exactly. And And to acknowledge, and he acknowledges that in himself. And he says, I had to put you out. Mm -hmm. I had to put you out. I let you be in with us and I had to put you out. Well, if that's his head, (laughs) that's, you know, that's pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. But to have it, uh, to have it, I mean, I don't know how you did. If Pros- is Prospero then in a different form with these leading these clowns to kill himself? I don't know. I mean, it, it all gets into this I wild. Mean, he could he could he's been alone on that island. He could be stark raving mad. He doesn't know, yeah. right? Yeah. I'd imagine that being alone on an island like that for as long as as he has been with all of that going on in his mind he, he could question reality there's no and there's no and there's nobody there to say this is wrong or this is right other he is the only daughter. arbiter other than his daughter who doesn't know what the possibilities are right she's only met him and caliban like mm-hmm. ooh, you know <laughs> that's but uh anyway that was fascinating but then to me the idea of when he sicks the dogs on Caliban and the clowns, mm-hmm. who are really just a satirical uh, parallel version of seeking power, they're dr- literally drunk on the idea of power, mm-hmm. uh, and they're going after, and which he's also contending with in himself, but also in his sister brother, Antonio Antonia, uh, whatever and and the and the king and all these people he's bringing to that's what the same story is of drunk with power all of this stuff was done because of their taking power from him which he said he didn't guard enough because he didn't that didn't wasn't what mattered to him 
I, I kept looking at that and I hadn't realized it was uh, in the back of my head, but the fact that he sicks those dogs on them, he doesn't just say, yeah, sick the dogs on them, go. He starts, he goes on for a number of lines, yell and like full of vitriol, it seems. And the more I looked at it, I thought he's, he's having a breakdown. He's expressing, he's finally expressing because you start yelling. It's like everything is reasoned until you yell at someone. Mm. You yell at somebody, you know, you turn that hose off. I'm so sick and tired of my neighbor doing it. Turn that hose off. I'm sick, you know, and all of a sudden all this stuff comes out. You go at something that's so not the point. The, the, the fury, and interestingly, one of the dogs named Fury, uh, the fury that overtakes him in sicking the dogs on the three of them seemed to me the perfect place for a release of all of uh, all that was um, boiling in him, that, that was simmering in him through all of this and, and all of that rage that he needed to get past. So he expresses it all and then feels like an idiot and, and, and goes, what, what am I doing? Oh my God. And that allowed the turn to, no, no, I, it, I'm bigger than this. I'm better than this. I have to be, I'm, I'm insist I am. That's what I found in this. And I thought now I'm ready to play this role. Uh, and I, and I feel, I, I love the way it worked. I mean, it's very contained in a way cause it's not long, but I think you hear him go out of, after being so in control through the whole thing, you hear him, his emotion, his rage, and it's everything about what's been done to his daughter and what's been done to him and the betrayal by his brother and the betrayal by the the king of naples i mean everything and that people would come to take his power they don't know what power is they're just they're these guys are clowns like yeah that's right mm -hmm. you know but all of that come together in that sicking the dogs on them is a magical emotional outlet you suddenly go what am i doing and it's, what, it's, aren't it's, I better than this? It's Ariel who kind of yeah. use him to that realization too, isn't it? But Ariel is also him. Right. Yeah. And, but it, you're right. And he says, how can, how can someone who's not even human, doesn't even know what it's like to be inside a human being, understand this better than I do? How can... How can she see, um, she, he, it, they, um, how can they see <clears throat> what it mean, what it means to be human better than I can? <clears throat> and that's, it's a great learning moment right in front of us, mm -hmm. which is where the brilliance of Shakespeare is. I feel it's, they're not reporting stories of what I did, what I learned, what, how I found my way to this. It's, it's us learning there in front of you, with you, with the audience going, 
Whoa, right, right. What a question. Oh my God, what would I do? Where would, yeah. You know, would I be big enough to forgive people? Have I done that in my life? Have I lost track of that? That's why we do these roles. Why do you think forgiveness is so hard? We're fueled by the wrongs that are done to us, and it's wrong. I mean, it's what it's, it's right on the nose of everything we're going through in this country, mm. right into what uh, the, the, what's, everything that separates us, people feeling mm -hmm. they're, everyone's making themselves victims and striking out from being victims instead of seeing that and seeing the same problem in other people and embracing that in what it means to be human. I remember hearing a, a sermon uh, given by a, a Unitarian Universalist minister who said that it's in the word, right, that you don't get anything when you give forgiveness. You are giving. You are forgiving. Yeah, and, right. and and you yeah. get nothing in return. Nothing in return. Well, although you do get something in return within. Mm. You get the knowledge that you are capable of not needing someone else's approval to be who you are, to be absolutely who you are. And I, I mean, I'm looking at Lear, Lear's gradual awareness of the people around him, gradual through the fool, through mm -hmm. the, um, through Edgar, through the, the naked wretches, wheresoever you are that bide the pelting of this pitiless storm. And it's, he's finally, he's an old man. He's finally seeing people who've been around him his whole life. Mm -hmm. And he's going, is man no more than this? You know, it's finally as an old man. And you go, oh, what, what a shame that he's been in charge all this time time and lost track of that but how amazing that we have it within us to get there yeah um and may and maybe my lesson from him is don't wait don't wait to learn this not what a great story of an old man learning this stuff but what a reminder that you can spend your whole life and lose track of that um it, it's a it's a beautiful huge set of questions that that live on with us and and in a daily fashion are questions we can ask ourselves of ourselves every day have you had a chance to go back and listen to the tempest i did yes yeah. i'm curious to know having gone through the performance of it uh recording rehearsal uh all of that and then having the time there's that long period in post-production where you basically have departed from the role uh and from the project then you listen back a couple months later what right what was the experience like for you did you enjoy it did you feel like it fulfilled? i did no i enjoyed it very much i think i think uh andy and team and you um obviously ken had already done his work there but um did a beautiful job but for me one of the biggest challenges of prospero are he has these 
three famous speeches in particular. I mean, more, but the the three main ones are Rebels Now Are Ended uh, and uh, the, the final speech. And it's a problem in all of Shakespeare when you have the famous speeches. I've done uh, Mech Scottish and uh, it, all of that, and there are those, and it is the same thing. My goal is to trick myself for the perp- for the sake of the audience and for myself, to trick myself into starting the idea, going towards something and finding myself, oh, I'm in the middle of this thought. Mm-hmm. And people have already heard, oh, isn't, isn't that a, I remember Revels now, you know, but he's just talking so that it's not laying out a speech and, and adorning it and putting a frame around it. It is simply having it in the midst of a simple direct conversation. Our revels now are ended, and these are spirits, as I told all of that, so that they become deeply personal without losing any of the poetry or the magnitude of what's said, because it's all contained in that. And I felt we were very successful. I was successful in my quest to personalize and to step by step have the conversation that with myself or with whoever I was speaking with to, as the English would say, to unpack these great speeches without them sounding like speeches, but adding up to the beautiful speeches that we know. And that was a the one of the largest challenges and it was it's one of the things that's most satisfying to me about the way it came out so each of these famous speeches these characters are trying to solve a problem and if you can get to the heart of what the problem is that they're trying to solve the rest of the poetry and everything that's so famous kind of falls by the wayside and you are just on the it doesn't fall by the wayside it falls it falls into Mm it falls into the the conversation uh-huh. i mean when i when i realized that and i they weren't planned out at all we just took them step by step and andy was very much uh on my side in all of this as well to to be saying to ferdinand yeah look i i know i see you're upset and everything but uh our rebels now are have ended and these are and so now mm. you see this and that that it it was it's part of the scene and you suddenly have this beautiful thought which as great thoughts do short of i have a dream speech right. uh written pre-written and beautifully delivered these are thoughts which because of their size and their imagery reveal themselves to be masterful um speeches and i I just love that about it because we all discover it. I, as Prospero, discovered like, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a, yeah, I think that's a good way of saying it, you know, mm-hmm. instead of like, listen to me, child, and I shall give a speech. There's all that right. stuff that just takes you completely out of it. It's lived language. And um, I was very, I was very happy that we we got there 
with so little uh, rehearsal time, but just we we all put the right amount of thought to it. We um we started our conversation talking about family, your family in Cleveland, yeah, and the family of that that comes with doing theater and creating plays. You also uh have you mentioned your wife who yes. is in this production with you. Uh, Gonzala. Marianne Plunkett, yes. Marianne Plunkett, who plays Gonzala so beautifully. Yeah. Do you work together frequently? Frequently, yeah, as, whenever we can. Right now we're both working in separate plays that were written by two people who were in a writer's group together, and the plays are not dissimilar. Small-town America plays. Mm -hmm. They're both unique. They're both really beautiful pieces, but we're she's down on the Lower East Side and I'm up on 46th Street in Midtown. Um, and we have friends coming to the friend who I, uh, we have visiting right now who came down to see both of them yesterday. Mm. And it was like, uh, it's a gift. But Marianne and I did 12 plays in 12 years with Richard Nelson together. Um, all original pieces and beautiful. And we toured Europe with one set, uh, the four Apple family plays and, and the Gabriel trilogy we toured the world with. Mm. Um, we've just had a, a endless riches of getting to work together and, and loving each other, but loving to work together and never playing husband and wife in any of them. We have always loved working together and look for every opportunity to do that. But she's, she is a magnificent, magnificent actor. And I am feel lucky anytime I'm able to be with her. Well, we will definitely continue to look for ways to work with both of you here at next chapter podcast. J.O. Sanders, I know you've got a lot to do. You've got a play to get ready for this afternoon. Uh, I, I'm sorry, no, that was yesterday. You don't no, have to play this evening. This yeah. evening, uh, you do have an audition coming up, and I don't want to get in your mojo for that. Uh, we'll leave it here. But it has been a real uh, privilege to get to talk with you and to to really learn more about Prospero and Shakespeare and uh, just how much the classics can tell us about ourselves and what bravery it takes to be an actor uh, and to go into the places that really frighten you and be willing to talk about them. And I greatly appreciate your candor and willingness to do that with me here today. Thank you very much. Michael, it means so much having a, a wonderful actor working with you, helping to produce this stuff and understanding what, what it means to be who we are, where we're coming from, because the, the empathy, um, like, like with these plays, we we get what we're doing it for we get what's important and if i turn around and go no 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 wait 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 your your attitude isn't you know we got to get finished here your attitude is what is it let's okay we'll try it you know how do we do this we'll make time well it's and that attitude draws me back as well because it's having a fellow artist uh on the other side of things is a gift too so thank you for that thank you jay Great talking with you. And you. You've been listening to the Play On Podcast bonus content series. You can learn more about the Play On Podcast at Next Chapter Podcast website, ncpodcasts.com. That's N as in next, C as in chapter, podcasts with an S at the end, 
com, where you can find other Play On podcast series and interviews, along with talk podcasts like The 500, The 10, Beef with Bridget Todd, and a whole lot more. I'd like to thank Jeremiah Tittle, the founder of Next Chapter Podcast, and my producer, Pete Musto. Our audio engineer, editor, and sound designer is Justin Cortese. Be sure to subscribe to Next Chapter Podcast for updates on all the latest content, and don't forget to rate and review our shows. I'm Michael Goodfriend, and I look forward to sharing more incredible works in the Play On Podcast series with you, along with lots of enlightening bonus content at Next Chapter Podcasts. Next Chapter Podcasts.